0: Corrupted nerds ensconced in the twilight of their bedroom, whether it be in Paris, Singapore, Lagos, Bucharest or indeed
1: even Sydney. And from Sydney or somewhere nearby, welcome to Corrupted Nerds Conversations, episode 14. Joe Franzi is Assistant Secretary for Cybersecurity with the Australian Signals Directorate, one of Australia's key intelligence agencies. And Joe Franzi is our guest today, a special guest on Corrupted Nerds, a podcast about information, power, security, and all the cybers in a global internet revolution that's changing everything. Hello there, I'm still Garion. It's not often that we get to hear from people like Joe Franzi. He's been working in Australia's defence and intelligence community for more than 37 years. He's currently with the Australian Signals Directorate. That's the intelligence agency that used to be called the Defence Signals Directorate, the DSD. And it's Australia's equivalent to and partner to, in fact, America's NSA. Now... The ASD is not just a bunch of cyber spies, it also has a cyber defence role protecting Australia's government, military and other critical networks. And for the last five years, Franzi has headed up the ASD's cyber security arm. And indeed, he also leads the defence sector contribution to the Australian Cyber Security Centre, the ACSC, which was opened by Prime Minister Tony Abbott just on a year ago. This is the very first on-record media interview that Joe Franzi has done in those five years. A spoiler... There's no grand secrets here, unfortunately, maybe next time, but what you will hear is some intelligent comments about uh, risk management, including his views on whether Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull should really be using commercial email services, and about the cultural issues when you try and put together a cyber defence team from disparate organisations. But first, a word from our sponsor.
2: Is penetration testing spitting out the same generic recommendations with no improvement? Mercury ISS works alongside their customers to enhance their security posture. With value for money and one of the best teams in the business, be sure to check out their services at mercuryiss.com.au.
1: This interview was recorded on Thursday the 15th of October 2015 in Melbourne, Australia. Joe Franzi, the Australian Cybersecurity Centre is coming up to its first birthday. What are the achievements, do you think?
0: Uh, that's a great question. It's an exciting time, actually. It's hard to believe that uh, we're nearly a year since uh, uh, the former Prime Minister opened the centre. Um, it's gone fast. And I think uh, the main achievements have been getting actually all of those agencies in, physically, into the centre, with all of their systems, their personnel, uh, working where they are situate, working out where they're situated on the floor plate, um, and then getting up into an operational rhythm. Um, so I think we've actually now achieved a position where each of those contributing agencies, so we've got the Australian Signals Directorate, the Australian Security Intelligence Organisation, ASIO, the Australian Federal Police, the Australian Crime Commission, uh, the Computer Emergency Response Team, Australia, who are the national CERT, out of the Attorney-General's Department, the Defence Intelligence Organisation. Getting all of those people and systems in, uh, we're now at a point where, on a daily basis, those organisations quickly get together on operational issues, can quickly work out who's got the lead, uh, what particular assistance needs to be provided, what's happening in incident response, what's happening in intelligence sharing. Um, And I think we're in a normal operating tempo now. So it's pretty pretty exciting. I'm really pleased with how not only the personnel have actually um, taken to the concept of the centre, but the cultures have actually found a way to mold because you
1: They're know, very we're, different cultures are, in those organisations. We're all bringing different
0: yes. DNAs to this. Mm. Uh, um, and so I think uh, one of the pleasing things has been they have not stood in the way of the collaboration. And, in fact, if I think uh, back to... The old model of the Cybersecurity Operations Centre, which was very ASD heavy, um, sat inside the Australian Signals Directorate um, and only had small numbers of integrates from those other agencies, to where we are now, where, where we're all together in much larger capability, um, it's been fantastic.
1: Now, is it a, a SOC, a security operations centre, in that... Model, of, you know, it's it's the room with the big map on the wall.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like to call it the senior officer fascination screens. Ah, yes. Um, we we're not a SOC like a typical security operations center would be in an organization where it's responsible for the protection of the uh, the networks and the information of that organization, uh, but we're certainly SOC like in that we have an integrated operations uh, area, which is truly integrated has members from all of those agencies that comprise the Australian Cyber Security Centre, fully integrated, all access to the same system, sharing information, working issues, and then the rest of the agencies are filtered around the rest of the centre across uh, multiple floors. But we do have a truly integrated operational piece, with the great screens of uh, things flying across uh, maps of the world and things like that.
1: Well, it's not really cyber if you don't have that, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Now, in your presentation to the ASA conference, you did talk a lot about uh, cooperation with the private sector, people outside government. That must be a challenge when you're from an organisation that normally doesn't even speak of its existence, let alone what Mm. it's doing, let alone share its uh, knowledge with the rest of the world. That, like so many things in this field, must have been a a cultural change in the organisation.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting uh, view because uh, the Australian Signals Directorate, of course, is part of the Department of Defence. Mm. Defence has long-standing relationships with a range of industry players, uh, particularly primes uh, in the uh, in the military uh, capability space, and a lot of those organisations. So that? people like uh, British Aerospace, uh, yes. Raytheon, Tarleys, Lockheed, Martin, Talos, yeah. people mm. like that, Northrop Grumman. So. And a lot of those organisations also have cybersecurity capabilities, uh, threat intelligence capabilities. Uh, So, for a number of organisations who ASD already had standing relationships with, this was not a challenge. It was really just about how we actually use the relationship differently. Um, And again. The Australian Signals Directorate has been an information security organisation for well over 60 years, so it has had long-standing relationships with particularly the defence industry sector, but also other parts of the private sector as well. Um, I think the real challenge has been how to get more efficiency out of those relationships as those other agencies came into the centre, because ASIO, Federal Police... CERT Australia, in particular, who are the national CERT, had a lot of those relationships as well. All for different reasons, but with the same organisations and in all of the cases the same people. And so we've actually found ways to get better efficiencies out of that.
1: And I, I guess, though, as you, you mentioned before, operational tempos differ between certain organisations, so I'm sure, you know, that uh, uh, I won't sort of dig down into the detail of that, but that just. again, it's how you organise that stuff must have been the challenge. It's not technology. It's not understanding the cyber threat and the threat landscape because, as you say, everyone had a view on that. It's even little things like terminology or, or, you know, we fill out a – well, not a form as such, but, yeah, you know, exactly how you communicate this stuff.
0: Yeah, well, when uh, Major General Steve Day, who was the first coordinator of the centre – Um, when we were looking at how we actually formulate the construct, uh, he was very uh, determined around getting the concept of operations right and actually working that through amongst all the agencies that make up the centre. So I think we'd actually work through the kind of detail of how we thought we would operate, which Mm. gave us a framework then when we got together... Uh, so what are the things we actually really need to tweak and what's working, what's not working? Um, uh, but I've got to say, of course, a lot of these agencies do have a history of working with each other on a range of missions. Uh, so the Australian Signals Directorate with law enforcement, uh, the Australian Signals Directorate with ASIO on a range of missions. This was just another mission. Um, I think it's really just making sure that the op-tempo, because I think you're, you're hitting to an interesting uh, issue making sure the op-tempo doesn't leave anyone behind. Mm. That's the real challenge here. Mm. Uh, Because, again, uh, defence can be very operationally focused because that's its DNA Mm. and can kind of, what I would call, go up the guts with plenty of smoke and leave a few other organisations behind. So you've really got to... There's not a one-size-fits-all of this, but you've got to play to your strengths and get to a tempo that actually works for everyone.
1: Well, uh, a friend of mine who who worked in military intelligence back in the day, he said uh, of of his law enforcement uh, partners, colleagues, however you want to refer to them, he said that they have the disadvantage that they have to get evidence that will stand up in a court of law, which slows them down because they have processes to follow. And he said, us, us not so much.
0: I think as an Australian citizen, I'm very thankful that our law enforcement colleagues uh, are very detailed in Mm. their uh, evidentiary... Process, uh, which is a challenge in the cyber security space, particularly with uh, serious and organised uh, cyber-enabled crime. Um, And I've got to say that one of the learning experiences I've had in the last year is just how capable the Australian Crime Commission and the Australian Federal Police are in this space and how they confuse what we can provide as intelligence with their own intelligence sources but understand the law enforcement implications and what's actually happening in the uh, cyber-enabled crime space because my organisation, we're not experts on uh, criminal activity or um, uh, we're certainly organised on uh, experts on the vector, but we're not experts on the actual activity. So it's been a real learning experience for us and a good one, I've got to say.
1: And that's been, I guess, one of the chief cha- uh, achievements of that first year. Are there, have there been any big wins that have been able to be talked about yet?
0: Um, I think there have been in some of the crime areas. I think some of the work around uh, working with uh, businesses on uh, things like distributive denial of service for Bitcoin. There was a a campaign. Um, Some of the work that law enforcement have done with us and other agencies in the centre has been uh, uh, promising. I think some of the work around ransomware and, uh, again, a major campaign that's affecting a lot of uh, uh, individuals and small to medium enterprises in Australia. I think that's been uh, impressive. And I think uh, the work that CERT Australia does in terms of its uh, information exchanges with business, um, uh, again, meant that we don't have to uh, reinvent the wheel here. We, ASIO, and the Australian Signals Director, for instance, can leverage off that. So, yeah, it's been been a great year
1: now in your presentation you did talk about risk in particular and I wanted to pick up on on just one of the items which is that many organizations say are more risk averse than they need to be in certain areas could you expand on that thought a bit
0: so I think uh, there's that always that tension between um, uh, uh, implementing new technologies particularly some of this disruptive technologies Uh, allowing uh, individuals to bring their own devices and use them on the network and uh, getting a separation between personal information and use versus corporate or organisational information and use. Um, And I think uh, in the old days, uh, IT security areas, it was easy, just the default position would be no. And I think it's taken time for organisations to move out of that risk-adverse sphere and move more towards, well, let's actually make some risk-based... Decisions and make balanced and informed decisions, and I think we're actually seeing improvements not only across in government, but in the private sector as well. In fact, the private sector is probably leading uh, because some uh, parts of the private sector this is their business. Um, but I think uh, I think we're seeing a, a certainly an understanding of the difference between being risk adverse and ha- understanding what your risk appetite should be. And, uh, as I said in my presentation, CEOs and boards actually having that conversation and understanding where they actually need to be. And, of course, again, it won't be one size fits all.
1: What I found particularly interesting, and I, 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 in fact, tweeted this point during the, the presentation, is that the same kind of conversations are now happening in government organisations, such as from ASD, and we hear that from the others as well, And private sector infosec companies they are both talking about the risk-based approach. They're both talking about, um, you know, appropriate risk. And I find it even interesting that you said, even within your own organisation, the Australian Signals Directorate, that, yeah, maybe sometimes we're more worried about the risk than we need to be in those circumstances.
0: Yeah, I think uh, uh, the organisation is certainly looking at how it can actually... Uh, look at the issues around risk management a lot better than it does, uh, as all organisations should. Um, and as I said in my presentation, this needs to be a continuous ex- uh, activity as well. So I'm pleased that our organisation is actually uh, seeing this as a serious board issue, and uh, we'll look to address it accordingly. As you're seeing in the larger Department of Defence portfolio, they're doing the same kind of work as part of the first principles review.
1: Yeah. In this time when we see all the headlines about threats at every level from the nation-state actors that are are front of mind for for your organisation down to just people trying to stop their their kids getting into trouble online or whatever it might be, what do you see as the biggest threats here? And Are are things really as scary as some of the the doomsayers would, would make out?
0: Well, I think the threats, are you know, they're certainly uh, pervasive, they're persistent, they're certainly across a wide range of um, areas, industries, they affect all of us from an individual level right up to large organisations, be they government, be they corporations. Um, so I think the threat is certainly real, uh, we see it every day, but again I think as we in our information security advice always talk about making good risk-based and informed decisions. You've got to, uh, you know, understand what's. I think, as Telstra quite rightly put it, around the five nos of cybersecurity, understand the volume, value of your data, um, who's got access to it, what are you doing to protect it, etc. So I think, if you actually, from an individual perspective, ride right through to large organisations, if they looked at that, uh, that would be a great starting point. Uh, for me, I think there needs to be more focus still on getting those what I would call ICT, Hygiene, Basics, right? Uh, and uh, I, I think that's an area where government can assist small to medium enterprise in providing them that advice. You don't need the Industrial Information Security Manual that comes out of the Australian Signals Directorate if you're a small organisation with five employees. But what you do need is some kind of best practice advice that you can implement that will give you a starting chance and at least protect those particular information and uh, assets that are most important and valuable to your business.
1: So for an ordinary person, family, you know, at home, they don't work in a critical industry, they're, they're just doing what... I'll call it a normal job for, for, for one of a better word. Should they be starting to get afraid or concerned of the future? Because we, we see the whole... I mean, the Americans would talk about cyber pearl harbour, and obviously that sort of rhetoric doesn't quite resonate in Australia, but, you know, the cyber-geddon, the Skatergeddon when all the power grid goes down, the re- the fridge geddon when all of our appliances on the Internet of Things conspire against us and, and are monitoring us. I mean, smart TVs I've spoken about before, well, they've all got cameras and microphones in them, and they're in bedrooms and living rooms and hotel rooms around the world. You know, is that the sort of thing where people should start you know taping over their cameras and worrying about that or or is it really kind of only people who are specifically at risk should start worrying?
0: So I think we're all at risk because we're, yeah, we're while we're all connected to the internet, we're at risk in some particular way, shape or form because the internet brings lots of great uh, capabilities with it and uh, is is fantastic for our economic prosperity and our well-being and how we actually all. Uh, operate whether it's in work, at home, we shop, we pay our bills, we bank, so it brings lots of greatness with it. But of course, it brings lots of risk with it as well. And there are lots of nefarious uh, individuals and organisations out there to look to exploit those vulnerabilities, and um, for whatever particular reason. So I think it's less about. I don't. I wouldn't advise citizens that they should ever be worried about this. What they should be is informed. Alert! They should actually look to embrace the opportunities that the internet and all of these particular devices uh, and systems provide. But they need to do it in an informed way and look to apply the appropriate security mitigations that are applicable to them.
1: It just occurred to me, as you said that, this is really like using the motor car. The motor car is a dangerous thing. It can kill you if you get it wrong. So you make sure you maintain your car, you put your seatbelt on, you make sure you lock it so no one will steal it. And there, there is still a risk to society in that there are deaths and injuries each year from this vast use of the motor vehicle in society. But we don't go running around like Chicken Little and going, my God, my God, the car is going to kill us. We just get on with our lives.
0: Yeah, and I think, uh, I think uh, that's... You have to uh, approach the internet, I think, the same way. But I think government's got a role to play here in terms of um, uh, the appropriate security advice, the appropriate privacy laws, appropriate protections, um, enabling uh, economic prosperity through the use of things like the internet. And that will only occur if you can do it in a trusted, secure and resilient way. So that's where not only government has a role to play, but particularly uh, industry with us as well. And, of course, citizens are part of that because at some point we're all interconnecting and citizens could be part of that kind of supply chain and could be the weakest uh, kind of uh, link. So there are things, I think, that you're seeing now more uh, software companies and more IT, hardware providers looking to build security functionality in that's transparent to the uh, to the user. I think a great example I think of in my own personal life is what the banks have done here and other elements of the financial sector in a lot of the educational advice that they put up on their websites, which is easily digestible, understandable, what the threat's like, what the banks are actually doing about it. Um, and then also taking decisions about security solutions out of your hands, they've done it all and it's all kind of transparent to you.
1: I think, as a brilliant example of that I'll throw in, when I stepped off the plane in Melbourne the other day, my banking app on my phone popped up a message saying, are you flying overseas? If so, give us a call and let us know where you're going and when. And I thought that was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, It
0: it is good. I've had the same one and you can see, so they're looking for... Okay, so if uh, still advises us that he's flying to, uh, to the US, then we see uh, credit card activity there, we won't suspect it's suddenly fraudulent. But if you say, no, I'm not travelling overseas, and then activity suddenly appears on your card coming from some part of the US or the UK or wherever, that's great.
1: Yeah, well, It is. I remember when I forgot, I stepped away from an ATM in Bangkok and before I'd even finished putting the 2,000 baht in my wallet, <laughs> my phone was ringing and it was the bank. Glorious work. As one last question then, the skills shortage. We are desperately short of skilled IT people generally, security-aware people even more so. And I even heard at uh, the Acer conference that while we're short of incredibly skilled skilled people like penetration testers with five to 10 years experience, at the same time, anyone who's just starting out as a new graduate, no one's interested in them because they don't have any experience and there aren't even enough spare people to train the people coming through. You're nodding, you're seeing
0: that? Yeah, yeah, the skills challenge here. I mean, because the uh, the demand for cybersecurity prof- professionals is insatiable at the moment. And this is not an, just an Australian problem, it's a global problem. Um, so there aren't enough people coming through the system to actually fill the job vacancies that actually exist. And you're right, people want also they want experience. Well, that takes time to get. You know, the future solution to this, as a number of speakers have said here at ASA needs to be really down with our kids at primary school or probably even beyond. And, of course, I think it's going to be... If we get this right, it's going to be easier because they're digital natives.
1: But this is a long battle. I mean, it's going oh, to
0: be... It, a- it is a long battle, but there is no quick-term solution to this. Uh, although I think there are some initiatives that, uh, that uh, countries and organisations could look at, things like uh, re, uh, re-skilling existing workforce... Looking for people with particular capabilities and aptitudes and reskilling. And I've already seen that in both government and in uh, industry. Uh, working closer with academia uh, and industry to come up with solutions in this space. Um, you know, I'm pretty excited about some of the stuff we do at the Australian Signals Directorate with our small little effort. Uh, we run um, uh, work experience programs for years 10, 11, and 12. We run targeted. Um, Uh, uh, cryptography and mathematics uh, week surges for girls uh, in the Canberra area Um, we run cadetships we sponsor cadetships we uh, sponsor internships so this is us doing our little piece to try and uplift the capability within the nation and we're already starting, we've only been doing this since 2012 and we get great support out of the Department of Defence with their schools outreach program Um, we're starting to see now young men and women who came through when they were doing year 10, year 11 in our work experience program coming back applying for the intern program and some who've graduated are coming through our graduate program as well. So I think, again, if other organisations look to do the same, then you'd get a kind of force multiplier effect as well.
1: Interesting point to end on. Joe Franzi, thanks very much for your time.
0: Thanks, Neil. Pleasure to be here.
2: With the rise of email phishing and social engineering attacks, you'd be foolish not to see how your company is faring. At Mercury ISS, we can help test and secure your organisation against security's weakest link. Our social engineering platform and expertise in this field will ensure that your organisation is better prepared. Be sure to contact them at info at mercuryiss.com.au
1: Well, that's all for Corrupted Nerds today. On a related note, I produced this week's episode of Future Tense for ABC Radio National titled Bug Bounties and Pen Testing: the Wild West of Online Security. Some of Joe Franzi's comments made it in there, but there's much more. There's a link to that program on the podcast website. The next episode of Corrupted Nerds will be a 2015 wrap, which will appear sometime before Christmas. And listen out for news of what will be happening with this podcast in 2016. Until then, I'm still Garian.
0: Have a good one.
2: Corrupted Nerds is a Skank Media production.
1: Sorry.